Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Alta Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. It's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux Advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah July. So good evening, everyone. Delighted to be here. Episode 29, the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. Last week, we bumped up against the top of the hour, and I can't take any across points time, but we aired an entire interview. We had an entire interview that we recorded when we were at the Ubuntu rally last week. And if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the whole thing. This week, I want to dive a little deeper into that interview. I think there are some really cool nuggets that, you know, maybe you didn't catch if you didn't have some of the background surrounding the interview that I have. So uh, go ahead and queue up cut four from. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, when you get when, when you get to it, queue up cut four for me, uh, queue up cut four for me. And um, basically, for those of you who don't know the history, uh, let's just take a minute and explain where we were where we are now, and where we're going. And uh, actually, I'll get to that in one second. That will give, uh, that will give the, the guys in the room a little bit more time to, uh, to get all of this uh, set up. We'll go ahead and go to the phones then first. Uh, Dax is calling from the road. I think this is the first call we've ever had from the road. Hi, Dax. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. How are you doing? Excellent. So you got to give me some background. Where are you on the road to and, and from? Well, I'm from southern Idaho, and I'm driving to San Jose, which is where my the company I work for is based out of. Okay, fantastic. And you're you're streaming us on on the web then? Actually, no. I'm in the, I'm in my car, and I just called you on the phone because I've been listening. I, I had the podcast. I got your phone number from there, but uh, uh, I do have uh, a wireless setup in my in my truck. It's just that I'm literally st- sitting. On the side of the road, in the middle of a forest, right now, I barely have cell access, let alone data access. Wow! Well, you sound great. How can we help today? Well, I have two questions for you, if you have time for it. I do. My first question is: my first question is on my corporate laptop. I've went ahead and gone rogue, and I, I've been a Linux uh, Mint Cinnamon desktop guy for for quite a while now. You know, really, I changed after. Um, Ubuntu went to, I think they called it Unity, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't adapt. Yeah. I think GNOME 3 and all that stuff came out about that same time, and I'm, I'm an old fart, so I guess I couldn't, I couldn't make that change. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, I run Linux Mix Cinnamon, and um, in order to get, you know, Exchange and all the other crap that they want me to have, I run the corporate image as a virtual machine, but I've been using a VMware player for that. I'm not, I, 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 I guess... Part of what I'm trying to ask is, what is the preferred better solution than using the VMware player, if there is one? And the reason I bring this up is that the little bit of research I've done, like KVM and these other ones, I don't remember the technical term. Again, I'm on the road, or else I would have looked it up for you. But mm-hmm. um, there seems to be like a limitation. It doesn't do blah. And that's why uh, people stick with the VMware player. And if you suggest that I move, um, is it a, was just mounting the hard drive to this new virtualization platform? Yeah, so there's there's you want to move the existing VM architecture. If you were to go with another solution, you want to move the existing VM architecture over to an, to another virtualization platform. That, that's what I'm asking. If that's too hard, it's not the end of the world to re-virtualize because I've got everything mm. on my on my Linux partition. You know, I just mounted a shared drive as far as data is concerned, but it is kind of a pain in the to you know reinstall everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would uh, I I would say. I guess I would start out by telling you this. Uh, no, there is not. I wouldn't draw a hard line and say, uh, you know, I just wouldn't use Oracle VMware. I, I wouldn't use uh, this, that, or the other. If if the virtualization platform is working for you, continue. As long as it, you know, if it works on Linux, we use, I use plenty of proprietary software on Linux, and I, I've not really had any issue. And the other thing is, too, is it's not like Oracle 
is uh, you know the 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 Lord and Savior of of the open source world, right? They do plenty of terrible things, and yet pretty much every time yeah. I sit down at a table and talk with a bunch of people that are developing on Linux, I say, "What do you use for virtualization?" So yeah, we use uh, we use VirtualBox. I mean, you know, if you have a, if you have a reason to to get off of VMware Player, I will tell you this. I, uh, I was speaking with a couple of people that are uh, that are heavily involved uh, with VMware, and they have slashed their development team uh, down to a skeleton. Um, and they are they are basically they are just kind of in maintenance mode on a lot of their stuff because basically they're just not making any money. It's really hard to sell ESXi when you have things like Overt competing, doing a better job, and at at a, at a fraction of the cost, enter zero. That they charge for ESXi. Fair enough. So yeah, I mean, if you want to move, though, uh, yes, it's it's a, it's a it's a uh, it's a trivial process to move. Basically, what you do is um, you can use you can use the VDI format. You can use dot uh, VDI is is, is is virtual disk image. You can use that. the 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 best one, the one that I would recommend, is QCOW two because QCOW two is compatible with pretty much every virtualization oh. platform out there. Uh, and v, uh, vert, or sorry, not uh, libvirt actually provides a utility to convert existing disk images to uh, QCOW2. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I assume it's just like a command line thing, and I can find the parameters to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, you can. Cool. And we'll include them in the show notes for you too. Yeah, I, I might, yeah fair enough. Uh, and I might experiment. I've used VirtualBox in the past way early before they even had like a, a GUI for it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time for me to revisit it then. I just, I'm not really necessarily unhappy with VMware other than uh, even with VMware tools installed, I still have to hit control alt to release the mouse so I can go to the other part of my, my screen, which is just annoying, I guess, more yeah. than anything. Yeah, so of course. It's a, maybe a technicality then, more than anything. My, uh, so thank you. My yep. second question, and, and forgive me for my ignorance, uh, like I said, I'm a long-term Linux user. I just I kind of stick with what's there, and I don't I don't really explore very very much because I'm busy doing my job. But you guys on the on Jupyter Broadcasting for I don't know the last couple of weeks, maybe months, I don't know, have used this term snaps, and I have no idea what a snap is. Can you fill me in? Yeah, I sure can. So when you first started using Linux, uh, what was uh, let me just let me let me ask. Maybe I'll get lucky. What was the most annoying thing you first the the most the heart wrenching thing that you first learned when you started using Linux? What was the first problem you had to overcome? What was the first thing you had to learn how to do? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go way back. Uh, this is uh, uh, compiling my own kernel, but that's a long time ago. We're talking Slackware three days. The, the reason I ask is I thought you the the answer that a lot of people give uh, is. Well, I didn't know how to install software because on Windows, I download the executable and I double click on it and it installs. On Mac OS, I double click okay. on the DMG and I drag it into the applications folder and then that application is installed. On Linux, well, it kind of depends. Sometimes you download something and you dot slash uh, run something, uh, uh, an installer file from the command line. Other times you can just install it right mm-hmm. from the software source, but sometimes the soft, it's not actually in the software center. So you have to go out and get a PPA. What's a PPA? Well, it's, that's a whole other bag of worms. You have to go get this link and copy this thing in there, and then you'll be able to update it at least until the PPA breaks. Then you have to go update the PPA. Other times you have to add a completely yep. separate repo, like in Fedora, where we have an entire... So it's it's like this it's like this cluster of various different ways that we install software on Linux. And it turns out it's, it, it's, it's very difficult because what you wind up with, Dax, is instead of saying, we have Windows and we have Mac and we have Linux, really what you're saying is, we have Windows and we have Mac and we have Ubuntu, and we have Fedora, and we have Arch, and each right. one of those separate, I'm going to call them operating systems, functions in entirely different ways. And that leads to all sorts and of problems. system D and init D and all the different ways things you got it. up as well. Right? You got it. And so look at Arch, for example. Lightworks, uh, every, I'd say once every six months I have a problem with Lightworks on my Arch laptop. Why? Because the Arch guys update the libraries every you know seven days, 14 days, and the Lightwork guys are mm-hmm. targeting... Ubuntu LTS, which updates those libraries every five years. And so it breaks. Mm-hmm. And usually I can fix it, but that's because I know what I'm doing. Um, other times you have things like TeamViewer that breaks. In fact, we had just a couple weeks ago, we had a caller that called in and said, TeamViewer doesn't work on this particular version of, of Linux. Why? Well, we don't know. Probably it's some sort of library issue. And, the, you know, the argument, there, there are two arguments. One argument used to be space. Well, there's too much space. So we can't have duplicate copies of libraries all over the place. And so we need to, 
we need to get rid of that. The other argument was security. Well, we have to have updated library files. Otherwise, your entire system becomes vulnerable because of that one application that uses those outdated library files that the application right. maintainer right. refuses to update. Right. So anyway, so you, you, you wind up with all of these... All in the same folder, right? Exactly. So so what, what basically Snaps is the... Well, Snaps and AppImage and, and, um, and uh, I forget the other... The Flatpak. They, they are all trying to answer that question. And basically what a Snap is, is an application, but a bundled application that has been put into a container of sorts. So I can take that Snap and it contains everything I need to run that application. So as long as I have the Snap store available to me so I can install that Snap, I can run that Snap on Fedora, I can run that Snap on Ubuntu, I can run that Snap on Arch, I can run that Snap on Red Hat, CentOS, SUSE, all of them. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. so you so can... It's like, a, it's like a virtual environment for, Py, for Python when I'm programming in Python. Kind of, but it's not actually virtualizing anything. It's it has all of the resource. It's running locally. It just has all of the resources it needs to run inside of that snap. And so you can you can start to you can start to see how if when the Ubuntu team sat down at the Ubuntu rally with the Microsoft guys and said, "Hey guys, we need a snap of Skype." All Microsoft has to do is target that one thing. Just update that snap. Make sure that snap runs, and all of a sudden, all of Linux has an up to date working version of Skype. That's huge. And 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 I'll I'll take it one step further. Maybe down the road if you know maybe down the road as Microsoft continues to admit that they suck and that we need they need to move closer and closer to Linux and so they've incorporated Bash and all this other stuff, eventually I think we're already seeing containerization of Linux apps on top of Windows. Just wait until snaps come there and then all of a sudden all an application developer has to do is target snaps and it runs on Windows and Linux and maybe Mac OS someday. You can see how that would, you know, that would go real real long way, right? Sure. Uh, kind of kind of what the doctor did and if you go back 20 years, you put everything in the same folder. Exactly. The way we used to do it. Exactly. Does that make sense to you? Does that answer okay, your questions? Kind so, of yeah, yeah, I think it does. So, so does that mean I have to install a program for, like you do with Docker to make snaps run? Right. Or is it going to be built into the OS? Uh, it may... I don't... Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me see how I do this. Uh, do, do, do. Here we go. Simon, you with me? Simon? Hey. You still have me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping I have both of you. Simon, do I have you too? Okay, cool. Hey, question for you: Is our is everything you need to run snaps? Is that included by default in sixteen ten? Um, well, sixteen ten is end of life, but sixteen oh four, um, all of that should be you know in, in installed by default. Um, sorry, 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 seventeen oh four, seventeen oh four. Is it included by default in seventeen oh four? Yep, it's it's included by default right now in all the supported releases of Ubuntu. They all pull it in by default. Um, I think that change was done. Couple months ago, um, but the the snap daemon, um, you know, that, that that handles all the snaps, and um, I'm, I don't believe Snapcraft is installed by default. But regardless, everything should be should be there. So everything it needs to run it though is is included by default. Yes. Yep. There you go. Does that answer your question, Dex? And that I think it does, and that is relevant. Then, if I run Cinnamon versus Mate versus God only knows what else. Uh, yeah, but I can tell you if uh, Martin Wimpress does such a fantastic job keeping the Ubuntu Mate project in line uh, with Ubuntu proper that you're not, uh, even without even asking him, I can tell you you're not going to have a problem. If a, if it works on Ubuntu proper, it works on Ubuntu Mate 100% of the time in my experience. Fair enough. Fair cool. enough. Okay. Cool. Yep, that's it. Awesome. Thanks for the call. Wendy is calling from Idaho. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Oops, I didn't click the thing. Hold on. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello. How can we help? So I've got um, just a quick question for you. Mm -hmm. I am a freelancer and have been using Linux now for almost two years. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to find a program where I can keep track of my clients, I can keep track of projects, and help me build proposals and have it native to Linux and not be running on a browser. Gotcha. Uh, well, there are two projects, Wendy, that you can use. The first is for keeping track of projects, keeping track of time, keeping track of where you are in the project, who's involved in the project, your contractors, what time, what supplies, all of that stuff. There, What you're looking for is a customer resource management or a CRM software. 
Um, and the, the best one that I know of is a software project called Zermo, Z-U-R-M-O. And basically what Zermo does is it allows you to enter in all of your clients, all of your customers, and then track everything they've asked you to do, track them as individual projects, track where you are, track who you've handed it off to. Um, and so you kind of have one canonical place to go and look for all of that information. Then as far as generating invoices, I use a program or a software platform called Invoice Ninja. Now, Invoice Ninja is, it, they, they offer it in two ways. The first is you can download it and just run it yourself, host it yourself. The second way, though, is they offer a, a premium service. So they, it's like 19 bucks a month. And what you get for that $19 a month is they will host it. So it's web-based and you can, they will remove all of the Invoice Ninja branding. So it, it only has your company name. It's kind of like a white, white label solution kind of a thing. Um, and oh, awesome. yeah, and then you just, all you got to do is pay your 19 bucks a month and they will continue to do it. Now, as far as Zermo goes, I will tell you, uh, I, I, I try to stay a, a little unbiased, but just, just as a, just so you know, uh, AltaSpeed Technologies does offer hosting for Zermo as well. So if you were looking for, if you're just, if you're saying, you know what, I don't want to actually manage the software. I just want to pay a monthly fee and then I just want to have access to the software. I don't know if Zermo offers that themselves, but we offer that just like we offer hosted C file, stuff like that. So both of those, that, those are the two software platforms I would use, and both of them are available uh, either directly on your machine, you could host it yourself, or through a third party in the case of Zermo and directly from Invoice Ninja. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for the call. Uh, Eric is calling from Indiana. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Great to talk to you. Yeah, same, sir. How can we help? Yeah, so um, I just wanted to say thank you to yourself and Chris for the really great coverage of the Ubuntu Rally. I think that was really one of your best um, content I've seen on Jupiter Broadcasting, so thanks so much for that. Outstanding. Yeah, so my question was related to that. I mean, as Chris alluded to, I think in either user error or another show, the audio quality was really excellent. And I was just kind of curious what, I, I know you guys use a lot of high-end like microphones and stuff, but what equipment did you use? Oh, sorry for that. Um, what equipment did you use for recording the audio interview you did um, personally? Um, was it like audio only or what, what kind of equipment did you use? Yeah, no worries. Uh, so actually all of the, I, I mean, uh, except for the Mark Shuttleworth uh, interview, and uh, I, I am fairly certain... I guess I can't say that without with complete certainty because he was there one extra day that I wasn't there. But I, the equipment that Chris used was actually my equipment. I brought the microphone and the recorder, um, and then Chris used Chris just used it to, to bang out his interview. And I actually sent it to him over Telegram, which is kind of funny because uh, he loves getting production assets over Telegram. Uh, but um, it, it, to answer your question, the specific equipment, the the, the microphone that kind of does it all is uh let me see let me see if i can look up the exact model number for you it's made by electrovoice and basically it is a the standard um in the interview world electrovoice interview mic yeah the re50 uh it is the electrovoice re50 and the thing that is nice about the electrovoice re50 is it's about a 200 dollars microphone handheld microphone and you can basically i bought it when i first got hired with jupiter broadcasting and I've used it for everything. And the, the thing that's great about it is the off-axis rejection, that is the noise that's coming from around the microphone rather than whoever speaking directly into it, is phenomenal. If you go back uh, two episodes ago and listen to the interview I did with Ron, uh, we were actually sitting at a diner. And now that I've told you that, if you go back and listen to that interview, you can actually hear like plates clanking around and stuff like that. But it's not real obvious in the interview. And that's because the off-axis rejection is so great. The other thing that's fantastic about that microphone is... It has a dual shock mounted capsule on the inside. So basically, picture this. You have a microphone and the microphone then sits inside of little rubber bands and then the rubber bands are attached to a separate microphone encasement that then you hold onto. So that way, when I grab onto it with my hand, my hand vibration or the vibration of my hand rubbing up and down the microphone doesn't actually transfer into the sound. So that's probably the key. You could record it on anything. You could record it on your laptop. You could record it on a, on a $50 recorder off of Amazon. It, it doesn't matter. In fact, I use it most, I used to use it all the time with my, um, with my Panasonic HMC 150 
you know, uh, pro-grade uh, camera. Uh, nowadays, though, uh, Chris and I each have this recorder that we really like, and it's the Zoom H5. And what's great about the Zoom H5, it has dual XLR inputs, so that's what you would need for this uh, Electro Voice RE50. And the top of it has these little capsules that you can buy different microphone capsules. Now, I have not been super impressed with the capsules. They're all condenser mics. And the thing about condenser mics are they're great if you're recording in a completely soundproof room. But that's never the case when we're out at these events. I've never had an ideal recording scenario. So I don't want a condenser microphone because it picks up too much ambient noise. Uh, what you want is a, is a good off-axis rejection dynamic mic. Uh, and... So I just, I don't, I took the capsule when I bought mine, I, I, I took it out of the box, I took the capsule, I threw it in a corner, I haven't looked at it since. Um, but the other thing that is so great about that recorder, and I didn't know this, Chris actually told me when we were out there, you can plug a USB cable into this recorder, and it will become an audio interface that works natively inside of Linux. So it's a really great little machine, and it has a, a built-in compressor limiter in it, uh, which I don't use, I just set the, the volume appropriately, and then I, I process that in post in Audacity. But... Um, yeah, but that, that's really, and, and again, that's a, that's a particularly nice recorder, and I bought it because Chris had the same model, and so it's just kind of nice when you're working with other people if you all have the same equipment because the buttons are all in the same place and so on. Like when I handed it to him when he went and did the interview with uh, uh, the elementary guy, uh, he didn't even have to look at it. He just, you know, his hands knew right where the power button was. It knew right where the, uh, you know, play button and record button is. He, he knew all of that layout because he has the same one. Um, but you could do any any XLR recorder would offer that would give you that that records in PCM. You always want to record in, in wave or at least 320 MP3. Anything that records in, in that format is you're going to come out with the same quality recording. Does that answer your question? Um, yeah, that's that's really great. Um, so you said it was a Zoom HD five. H five. Uh, just model right. Yeah, just H five. H five. Hotel H5. five. Mm -hmm. Zoom H five. Okay, great. And, um, yeah, the reason I'm asking is because I'm going to go to a conference in late January, and I do a podcast as well, so I want to get some interviews for the show. And last year what I did is I took my ThinkPad Carbon with me. I hooked up my USB kind of mixer with mm -hmm. the two Electro Voice RP320s, and it was just a bear to set up. So I'm kind of hoping I have something I can turn on, and within, like, three seconds I can put somebody with a mic and just say, hey, let's talk, you know, instead yep, of yep. just setting up a laptop for ten minutes or something. So. Yeah, you can do that. the The other thing you could do, if you want to, if you want to save a little bit of money, uh, you can buy something called an iRig. It's basically a small little XLR interface that plugs into your telephone, uh, your smartphone, and then there is an app, and the app is called the Rev Voice Recorder. R E V is in Victor. R E V Voice Recorder, and basically, it is a professional It's a it's a professional application that was that was put out by. I'm trying to think. Um, I can't remember where it was I was seeing, but basically it was an application that was developed specifically for journalists to do field reporting. It works right on your phone. So if you want to save a little bit of uh, money, uh, that's something that, that, that you could do. Dale is calling from Virginia. Hi, Dale. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh, hi, Noah. Is the audio quality okay? It is. Pleasure to speak with you. How can we help? Okay. Okay. So, every once in a while in Linux, I'll learn something that makes me geek out. Like, for example, the uh, double exclamation point can repeat your last command, and you can even type sudo in front of that. <laughs> when I learned that, I got so excited, I sent, like, five people in my shop, hey, did you guys know this? You know, like, dude, we don't care, we're Windows admins, but whatever, they know. So, anyway, what's the last thing that you've learned that made you really geek out? Oh, man, on Linux specifically or just in general? Uh, you know what? Let's go in general. Okay. Um, I, I, I'll tell you, here's, here's one thing I've, I've been playing with personally, and, uh, and it, it only applies if you're, if you're doing podcasting or, or, in my case, broadcasting. One of the things that I have, to, I have to contend with is when we do this show, it's held to a different standard than uh, some of the other podcasts. And because uh, we actually have an FCC minimum mandated uh, noise floor that we have to adhere to. And so when I go on the air, no matter what the reason is, I have to make sure that the, the, the quality is at a certain level. Um, and uh, the minimum uh, you know, accepted quality, generally accepted for broadcast, is something called G.722. And um, one of the apps that I have been playing with is, a, is an app called Lucy Live, L-U-C-I-L-I-V-E. And it runs on Linux, Mac, Windows, and uh, Android. And what you can do is you can install this app and I can connect to, we have a very expensive uh, piece of equipment in here that allows me to connect remotely. And this 
software platform lets me use the G722 or Opus or ACLD, uh, which is a low latency AAC codec. And basically, I can connect into the studio and do a show from my phone if I had to, which actually would have kept the show on the air a couple of months ago when we had to make a run to the airport. So I, I, and I, I stayed up yeah. for like three nights playing with it, and I was like, oh, this is just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing how something can go from you've never seen it before to you need this in your Swiss Army knife of tools all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely it became as a must. And it's not cheap. I think it's uh, 250 bucks for the app, but it was worth every penny to me uh, because to be able to get that kind of low latency, high quality audio. Uh, and there's a couple of restri- there's a couple of limitations. So you have to have something that can accept the call on the other end. You can't just I mean, you can't, you know, call a, you know, a, a Skype machine or something like that. But so there, there's a couple of restrictions to it. But it's it's a really good uh, application. And, and I'm real happy with it. Uh, Audra is calling from North Dakota. Hey, Audra, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, thanks. Oh my gosh, this is so cute. <laughs> How can we okay. help today? Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, but I have a real question. Um, except, like, I don't, maybe you can, like, dumb it down because I, don't, I have no idea what you just said for, like, the past 10 minutes. Okay, I'll um, do my best. So my question is, do you have, like, a router that you recommend um, that I can get for, like, under 50 bucks that will work in, like, a small apartment with, like, three rooms? Okay. Um, so, yep, that is a thing. Uh, so basically, there are three things you look for in a router, Audra. The first thing you look for is what is the speed that the router can take. So if, if my internet represented a pipe, like a, like a water slide, how big around is that okay. water slide? And if that water slide is spitting out, you know, let's say 20 gallons per minute, I don't want to buy a router at, at you know think of a think of a tube connecting to the slide i don't want to buy a, a tube that connects to the slide that can only accept 10 gallons per minute you follow me because then the, the water would stop up at the, yeah. when it when it next down right so that's the first thing right. you want to look at is what kind of speed can the router itself take uh, and so in 2017 you'd want to see something that supports gigabit that's 1000 megabits per second which is going to be drastically faster than most ISPs will offer. Um, the second thing you look for Ooh, okay. is, is what is the range of the router? So what, what, what wireless uh, bands are supported on the router? So, for example, your phone has uh, specific little radios in it, and those radios allow it to talk back and forth to the router. And so you want to okay. make sh- you want to make sure that those that those radios have letter identification. So the first one we had was B, the second one we had was G, the third one we had was N. The latest one, well, not the latest one, but the, the latest one that is in is in wide scale use is what we call AC. So you'd want to look for a router that has the AC standard. Um, the router that we uh, recommend to most home users, and we have used this all the way up to homes that are twenty seven hundred square feet, twenty eight hundred square feet, and had very good luck with it, is the TP-Link N450, and I'll have a link for you in the show notes, but basically it can be bought off of Amazon.com. It's 39 bucks, and uh, it's just a plug-and-play device. You pull it out of the box, you plug the uh, yellow port on the back of the router into your cable modem, or sorry, blue port on the back of the router into your cable modem, and uh, you can connect wirelessly okay. to it. If you have a desktop, you can plug the desktop into one of the yellow ports, and that will, uh, and that will let you get online. Oh my God, that's so great! Actually, that's funny that you said that too, because, like, specifically in my original, my planned question, I was going to ask for one that I could get from Amazon. So that was perfect. Then you get overnight shipping. Thanks, Noah. Yep, no problem. Anything else? Just give us a call back. Jason is calling from Maryland. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. So I'm a big fan of you from you and Chris from the Linux Action Show days, and I love this new show. I think you know it's a really great service, and I'm about to make use of it. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in. How can we help today? All right. So I've been trying to move myself off of Google services for a while, and I've done a pretty good job of it. Mm. Um, but the last service that uh, was just great is Google Voice. Yes. And I'm trying to build something with free software. I can either host it myself at home or hopefully on a DO droplet. But I'm hoping that this is going to be possible with Asterisk or FreeSwitch. Yes. And I just want your advice on this. It is. So That's, that is what I do. I want to do. Oh, awesome. Some things I want to do is have a, a, a phone number that I'm comfortable giving out publicly. Mm-hmm. And that phone number, hopefully, I want, to, I want to set up a system where you can whitelist numbers that I know, like my family, numbers that I interact with regularly. But otherwise, 
it's going to bring you to a messaging system where either they'll have to put in a code that I gave them previously, you know, someone I met, mm-hmm. or it'll force them to voicemail and then I can whitelist it afterwards. And uh, for voicemail, I'd like it to be able to manage and store my voicemails. And I don't know if there's a web interface out there that can kind of give you the same kind of experience that Google Voice has. That's a lower priority. That'd be really nice to have, but I don't have a problem calling in to listen to my voicemails. So what do you think? Everything you just said exists, uh, and you're right. Uh, FreePBX asterisks. Um, I use the uh, the asterisks now because it is an appliance based CD. Appliance based meaning you download the ISO and you put it onto a USB drive, plug it into a computer, and just wait. And that computer becomes a PBX appliance. Don't have any important data on it, obviously. But um, it's, mm. it, 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 it should take no more than five minutes to set up. There is a how-to video that I did a while back. It should be on YouTube, and I'll, I'll, I'll dig that up and throw that in the show notes as well. Um, as far as the uh, management of voicemail, that also exists. It's a stock feature built into Asterix. They call it the user control panel. It's turned on by default. Uh, when you create an extension, it will generate a password. I would recommend you change the password, but you can log into the web interface. You can play your voicemails. You can download them as waves. Um, you can mark them as listened to. You can save them, store them in a folder. And I do. That's how actually how I manage all of my voicemails. Uh, as far as how to actually replace uh, the the Google Voice part of it, so you can receive the calls. The free PBX part is free. Obviously, to pay for a phone number. It's going to cost a little bit of money, uh, and not much, but a little bit. And the way you go about that is you look for a SIP uh, trunking provider. Now we use uh, mm-hmm. we're we're big fans, and always recommend a company called Vox Telsis. And you can we'll have a link in the show notes, and you can reach out to them voxtelsis.com. The great thing about Vox Telsis, uh, Jason, is that they mm-hmm. are they are very much kind of the kind of people that think outside of the box. So I go to, I was, in fact, I was just talking to the owner of the company uh, yesterday or day before. And I had this, I had this idea and I said, I have this idea for ask Noah show and I want to do this thing. And it would require this thing to connect to this thing and do these things. Can we do it? And he's like, let me think about it. And he gets back to me. Yeah, we can do that. It it would take this and we'd need this software package and these pieces of hardware, but we can do it. Uh, And so we're actually going to do a show live from their, uh, their headquarters upcoming. And and the reason I like working with them so much is because I never get told no. I mean, if if we have, if we have any, any sort of problem that you can come up with, those guys can solve. Uh, So I'd give them a call voxtelsys.com, check them out or give them a call. And that would be how I would get rid of uh, Google, Google services. uh, The, the, the phone side of that anyway. All right, we'll get back to calls here in just a second, um, but I want to uh, I want to shift gears here. So queue up cut. We got, okay, we got cut four. Okay, cool. So for those of you who don't know the history, let me just take a minute and explain where we were, uh, where we are now, where we're going. So X has been the display server on Linux uh, for a long time since really its inception. And some of you are thinking, what exactly is X? X is the thing that gives you a graphical representation of what your desktop is. It's what what you see your desktop. Without X, you would just have a command prompt. Now, the problem with X is that it is literally a hack job. X was written long before we had 1080p video, before we had streamed video, before we had intensive graphical video games, and we have just put one Band-Aid after another on X. And I'm... I am... I guess I'm exaggerating that a little bit for dramatic effect because anyone who actually develops code on X would tell you that large portions of X have been rewritten from the ground up specifically to solve some of these problems. And when I say that it's just one gigantic hack and there's a bunch of band-aids, it kind of downplays the, well, it does downplay the extensive uh, work that the the team on X has done and continues to do. Um, But I'm saying it that way to to make a point. Um, Basically... If you've ever opened up your laptop and you've had it resume from standby and it starts playing the music or I'll just say other content that you may have had playing, uh, then you know what I'm talking about. Then you've had this happen and you hit the mute key, nothing happens. Hit the volume key, nothing happens. So when I say X has some issues, that's what I'm referring to. Now, the solution to this problem or proposed solution to this problem came a few years ago when the Linux folks decided they were going to develop something called Wayland. And Wayland was going to be the replacement for X. Now, again, if you haven't heard the entire interview, I'm again, I'm going to encourage you to go back to last week's episode because Jerry talks about this in some detail, but it's not really relevant to the point I'm trying to make today. Suffice to say that they looked at contributing to Wayland and decided that it wasn't complete enough. 
And I, there are some of you that are sitting there. No, what do you mean it wasn't complete enough? You know, what, what, what do you mean? Whalen is complete. They're shipping on Fedora. Yeah. But what I mean is what I mean is that Wayland at the time was literally just a set of specifications. It wasn't a complete solution. And even today, there are projects like Kwin and Mutter that are toolkits to talk to Wayland, but Wayland is not an end, end to end solution. So uh, we have cut four. Go ahead and play cut four. And we found there were a couple of issues with Wayland that we were not terribly happy about. The fact that it's just a basic protocol, like it's a bunch of XML specs, mm-hmm. that's frustrating because most like application developers and most shell developers want an API to work with. Mm-hmm. If you actually wanted to bring something up, you had to write all the hard code yourself. You had to work with DRI, KMS. You had to figure out lib, in, like lib input didn't exist when we started either. So you had to talk to all these bits and pieces and figure it all out yourself, and that's an awful lot of work. The idea of Mir was we will deliver APIs to application toolkit developers and shell developers, and then we'll worry about everything in between. So Canonical, from the ground up, designed a complete replacement, a competitor, a strong competitor, to both X and Wayland, and they called this Mir. Now, due to, with all due respect to Matt Hartley and his monkey suit, Mir never really took off with any other distributions, save Ubuntu. And this is another example, we've talked about this concept before, this is another example where we have projects that each have strong technical merits, and yet one pulls ahead. And it's not always because it's so technically superior, but sometimes it's simply marketing or perception of marketing. And I'm not trying to be the guy, I am not trying to be the guy that comes on here and says, well, Mir was a better display server than Wayland, and I'm, it, it, I'm not saying that at all. I've talked to some people who eat, live, and breathe this stuff, and they have, all of them say the same thing. There are major benefits and major detractors to both. But it is a fact an uncontested fact that Wayland requires something like Mutter or Kwin, whereas Mir just simply has an API for developers to target. You can take that however you want to take it. You can say that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that is that is the world that we live in. So imagine this. Imagine for a moment that you are the new CEO of Canonical, and you've just spent I don't know how many umpteen dollars building this display server from scratch and you believe it's technically superior to Wayland and you can articulate some of the problems with Wayland and why your display server doesn't have the same problems that uh, Wayland does. Now, queue up cut nine. Uh, is it cut nine? Where's my cut sheet? Yeah, cut nine. Uh, I tell you what, if Speed Technologies invested that much effort and money into developing something and, and we really believed in it hardcore, I'd be extremely hard-pressed to just throw it in the trash. And at the same time, the writing is on the wall, right? Because you literally have other, every other distribution that is, they're not sticking with X. If they're sticking with X, they're maybe on X. But if they're not sticking with X, they're moving to Wayland. So what do you do? Well, Canonical, they figured it out. Canonical found a way to take their hard work and put it into Wayland. Play Cut 9. So we've recently announced that we're adapting Mir to implement the Wayland protocol. So it will be a Wayland display server. So it will work with existing toolkits that have Wayland adoption built in. So using a small desktop environment like XFCE or Mate, Mutter and Kwin, they are heavy toolkits. So if you want a lighter toolkit, hey, we have this Mir thing and it works on everything from Android to Unity. Let's just, let's take the parts of Mir that we thought were superior to Wayland and let's implement it as a toolkit to talk to Wayland. That is a brilliant solution. That is a brilliant solution. The end result here, guys, is you get your cake and you get to eat it too. You get the ease of, uh, of using the APIs with Mir if you want to, but you can still target Wayland directly with Kwin or Mutter. The next big thing, whatever that is, you could use that if you wanted to. Have at it. Uh, and this is what open source is about. This is what Linux is about. Red Hat, Canonical, SUSE, all of the big names are working together in a cohesive fashion instead of working against each other. And who puts the first foot forward? Canonical. Who says, you know, who says the community wanted Wayland, so we're going to give it to you? Canonical. Who says we're going to take all of our hard work that we've been working on for years and we're going to make it available to anyone who wants to use it, even if that means you want to use it with Wayland, we'll make Wayland better? Canonical. This is nothing short of brilliant. 
Canonical is nailing Linux on the desktop in a way that no other company is lately. And if you're not seeing this in person, it's it, it, you probably have a hard time understanding my excitement. But it is it is absolutely incredible, uh, incredible. Uh, more on this, I can't even talk straight. I'm so excited. That's that's what it is. Um, I'm going to go back to the phones because I see people are piling up here. We'll get back to this in a little bit. Stan from St. Louis. Hey, Stan, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Great to hear from you. I'm glad you're presenting everything that you do. Uh, I have a tip for new people. Um, there's a website called thefrugalcomputerguide.com, and he's got a whole bunch of videos. He's got uh, 45 videos that moving from XP to, to Linux. Um, he's got 94 videos for LibreOffice on on uh, um, um, a database. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been using LibreOffice database for about five, seven years now, and I'm learning stuff from it. The 94 videos on the database alone, and he's got wow. videos on on uh, LibreOffice Calc the spreadsheet and LibreOffice Writer, and he's just and he's currently doing uh, videos. He's got about nine videos on learning how to use Vim. Uh, some of the database uh, or some of the videos are a little bit old, but they're very good, I think, and I. Uh, and involved with uh, three or four Linux uh, special interest groups here in St. Louis area, and I promote uh, using these videos. I've started uh, copying them to DVD because they're free, and handing them out with uh, uh, ISOs, and they're really something. Fantastic. What was the name uh, of that site again? I missed it. I'm sorry. They, they are really something for the new user. Uh, uh, because they are well, uh, very uh, detailed, especially on using LibreOffice and all uh, the Office Suite, the base, calc, writer, uh, so, and even draw. He's got uh, a number of, of uh, videos on using LibreOffice draw. What was the name and of the site? What, how do I get to it? It's thefrugalcomputerguy.com. Thefrugalcomputerguy.com. Awesome, Stan. I will. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, I'll have to definitely check that out. I think that the new user space is some of the most underserved space out there. So it's really great to know that there is somebody out there that is that is doing videos. I actually we tried reserving part of the program, this program, at the end uh, for some of the newbies, and uh, we just we didn't get any newbie questions, and we didn't get any newbie callers. And I said, well, uh, we got the phone lines are stacking up with people that have technical questions. Uh, we'll just we'll just augment. I said from day one, you guys are the are in the driver's seat. Uh, Jordan is calling from uh, Ohio. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hey, how can we help? Hey, so I had a question. Um, I've got a, a webcam that I think you're pretty familiar with. Is the Logitech C920. Love that thing. <laughs> and so I've been wanting to use it in uh, OBS. And the question I had is that um, the only part I'm a little confused about is that it's supposed to be able to do 30 FPS at 1080p or 60 FPS at 720p. But the only options I see in the menu are either 5 FPS, 10 FPS, 15, or leave unchanged. And so I don't know if leave unchanged is giving me the max FPS I want or not. (laughs) I am a little skeptical. 60? I've never heard of 60 FPS on a C920. Are you sure about that? trying to do some Googling here while I'm on the phone with you. I believe that's what it said on the box, um, that 60 at 720 or 30 at 1080. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yep. C920, uh, 60. Okay. All right. I'm with you now. Okay. We're caught up. Uh, yeah. So here's the, here's how you fix that. Here's, here's the answer to your question. The answer to your question is, um, you need to specify the frame rate, but I'm sure you noticed the little box in, like you said, it only shows you two options. The reason is underneath, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, video format, you need to change that to emulate it instead of the YUUV. The, um, basically there's a couple different ways OBS can take in, um, an image. The first way is a raw video capture where literally every single picture, uh, a pixel rather, uh, is hitting the software. You want to change that to emulated. If you change that to emulated, you should get your other frame rates. Oh, okay. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah, that's all I had. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. I uh, we do everything in thirty FPS just because all of our other cameras are thirty FPS, and so I've never. I did. I was actually. I learned something new today. I didn't know the nine twenty does sixty. And here's the other thing about the nine twenty. I'll just throw out there a lot of hype on the nine thirty and the nine thirty E, the or C or whatever the corporate edition one is, and then they got the new one. Uh, I don't like them. I don't like the. I don't like the wider lens. I want. Uh, I, I. I think the image quality of the C920. It's still my favorite webcam out there. In fact, I just had a guy the other day that was asking me, uh, you know, what kind of webcam do I do I like? And I said I stock nine twenties like no tomorrow. And they, the good thing is they just keep getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, Dale is calling from Virginia. Hey, Dale, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi. Uh, so I had a question. I wanted to know. Um, basically, if you had advice for anyone who wanted to start going to Linux events but lives in a rural area that might not have access to some of those areas, you know, maybe if there's a website I could go to and say, hey, I'd like to set up some kind of Linux event here, or how, how are Linux events uh, scheduled and, and coordinated? Like, where can I go to find where other events are? Um, anything like that? Yeah. So the um, so the first thing I'll tell you is that in general, more and more of Linux communities are moving online. Um, there is definitely an advantage to meeting up with people in person and being able to, you know, do show and tell on different hardware and stuff like that. Uh, but more and more places I see are moving their lugs online, the most prolific of which is, of course, uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting Show Linux Unplugged, which is on Tuesdays. You can join in the mumble room and you can participate in a Linux user group as if you were there, except you don't have to be there. You can do it over the Internet. Uh, and I- I'll tell you firsthand, I am part of the mumble community and uh, some of those people are my closest friends and uh, I do all sorts of things Wait, with them. So Good. I'm sorry. So anyone can join the Unplugged Program's Mumble Room? That's for everyone? Yes, sir. I, well, okay. Anyone that has anyone that that has decent audio quality. So I mean, if you if you open your laptop up and set it fifteen feet away from you and go, "Hey guys, it's, it's good to see you. I uh, what's going on in here today? 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 If if that happens, you know, you're not going to be you're probably going to be asked to leave and just you know listen only. But yeah, if you have a headset, even like, and it doesn't have to be a nice headset. If you go buy a Logitech USB headset from uh, you know Best Buy for nineteen bucks, that'll work. Um, and yeah, you can you can uh, you can contribute to the conversation and. Um, and that that the nice thing is that community exists 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's almost always somebody on there, and it's a great way to build relationships. And a lot of the people that I attend conferences with are people from that uh, from that mumble group. Wow, I, I just didn't know it was open to everyone. That that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to Unplug for almost a year now and had no idea. Yeah, I'd recommend you check it out. It's uh, it's um, it's uh, four p.m. Central. I don't know what that. I, I, that's, that's two p.m. Pacific. I don't know. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. The robots will convert it into your local time zone. But uh, yeah, check it out. I, I would highly encourage anyone that wants to get more involved in the Linux community to check out that show and check that community out. Chris is calling from West Virginia. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey Noah, you should tell the last guy as well that the mumble channel never closes I, that's what i said it's a, it's open 24 hours a day seven days a week i i'm there all the time oh, sorry, yeah. uh well since you're so hard to get in touch with i thought i'd Aww. call back and ask how you're uh I, I catch you on the phone where it's the only place i know you'll be and ask how your duplicity test went uh yeah well yeah I'm I, I'm I'm rather predictable that way at six p.m. on a Sunday there's no or a Monday that's there's no place else I am although you do have my personal cell phone so I feel like uh, few <laughs> you can oh, call me I would know you are so busy I would never bother <laughs> personal cell phone unless you telegrammed me and said it was okay but you're not answering my telegrams now because you're so busy. Yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy week. I haven't spent a lot of time on Telegram this week. Uh, yeah, no, um, Duplicity is great. I haven't uh, I haven't dug into it as deep as I wanted to, um, but I have it running on a couple of machines, and so far I've been extraordinarily impressed. By the way, for those of you who haven't caught on, uh, Chris is, if you if you caught the, the more than passing uh, familiarity here, Chris is a uh, good friend of mine um, down from West Virginia, and uh, him and I were, were simultaneously looking for a backup solution, and then Chris landed on it and sold me on it and i just kind of took him at his word and started deploying it so hopefully it's a good solution <laughs> well uh i have i have it deployed i have it at two machines at a client and i have it uh on my personal machine here and even over my slow sketchy internet at home i am really happy with it it's it's doing pretty well it's taken about um i think they have about eight gigs right now 
and it's backing it up to my server, compressing it down to just under six. It's actually 8.7 compressed down to 5.2 or 5.9, excuse me. Most of them are things like Word documents. Uh, they do have a few pictures in there, which of course are not going to compress. But uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with that. It, it seems to be doing well. I've got it emailing me whenever it does a successful, but well, whenever it does a backup. Um, it, it again, we had talked about the web interface and how neither of us really like the web server running on. Yeah, thing, yeah neither one of us are a fan of that. You can password protect it. Um, so far, it's 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 doing good for me, and now I guess I'm about to start billing them for it. So yeah, and you just got a new That's server that you're running it on, right? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I uh, uh, I installed Ubuntu, uh, dropped two four terabyte Western Digital Reds in there, and put ZFS on them. So outstanding. Uh, I'm really happy with that. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll continue so, to keep. So I thought I would. Good. I'm sorry. I just thought I would. Uh, call up, say, hey, because I haven't talked to you in a while, and and let you know how it was running for me and find out if you or find out if you'd uh, gotten a chance to implement it yet. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do have a running. I just, like I said, one of these days I'm going to, like, seriously dive into it, like, super deep, and uh, and uh, and then I'll be able to give you, you know, a much more in-depth, detailed analysis. Uh, by the way, chat room is telling me, if you're looking for online communities, uh, I should mention telegram.asknoahshow.com. That is the official uh, hangout for this show and uh i'm in there a couple other guys are in there and uh, we talk about small business and linux and software and pretty much everything so asknoahshow.telegram.com if you have telegram installed so to recap canonical is transitioning mirror to be an intermediate for developers who want to use an api to target a display server and wayland uh which is just a protocol so you can use mirror to talk to wayland which is really cool now i want to shift gears because later in the interview i asked jerry about canonical's choice for wayland to become the default desktop in 1710 so queue up cut 10 for me and again i want to pose a problem to you you are now the ceo of canonical you're in charge of a major software company that produces an operating system the likes of which Amazon and Google are using. And no, I'm not talking about servers. I know people that work at both Amazon and Google, and they are using Ubuntu as a desktop operating system. So you have this display server that's come out, and the entire community is telling you that it's ready for projects. It's ready to go. Production. It's good to go. Uh, in fact, they cite, they're citing other distributions that are, uh, that are shipping it by default, but there's just one problem. No other distribution has the millions and millions and millions of users that you have. So if you don't ship Wayland, people accuse you of stagnating. And if you do ship Wayland and it crash and it crashes Amazon's uh, operations, then I hope you have a really good PR guy on staff. And it's it's pretty well known at this point that 1710 is shipping by default with Wayland. So I asked, how are they going to handle this problem? And I think you're going to be shocked at the answer. Go ahead and play cut 10. It's a good testing ground for it. So 17.10 is not an LTS. Um, we tend to get more devoted users adopting. Wait, stop, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. He said devoted users. Did you hear that? So we, he said we tend to get more devo devoted users on the non-LTS. So translation here, the real geeks, the people that are opening bugs, the people that are submitting feedback, not the ones that are going up. I'm so done with Linux. My skinny jeans are too tight and I'm going to Starbucks and I'm getting a Vente, a double Vente, French vanilla, pump split latte, and then I'm going to go get a MacBook because it has a touch bar. Screw buttons. No one likes buttons. Buttons are so 2016. Why would you want buttons when you can have a touch bar? The real devoted users on Linux, the people who that are that are actually, you know, making the making moving the needle forward, those guys are not on the LTS. Those guys are on the on the in-between release. Go ahead and play it. It's a good testing ground for it. So 17.10 is not an LTS. Um, we tend to get more devoted users adopting the non-LTS revisions mm -hmm. because they want to get the newer stuff and they want to test it and see what it's like. So if we release it and then we get some negative feedback, then we may reconsider the decision to use Wayland for mm -hmm. default for the LTS in six months after. Okay. So, uh, so, so so 1710 is the testing ground. So they roll out Wayland as the community expects them to, and maybe a few things go wrong. 
But the devoted users, the people that are that are in the know and have the community connections and stuff like that, they work through their problems or they fall back to the LTS. So, so far, so good. But what happens at, when users at large have problems? What do we do? Because you can't ship the LTS uh, with Wayland if it's not working properly. QCut14, play, uh, play 14. We may have to revert back to X for the LTS. Mm -hmm. LTS, the main priority for us is that it's stable and solid and then people can use it every day without having to worry about stability or functionality issues. So maybe we'll have to wait until after the LTS to revisit the full Wayland-based desktop again. Okay, so translation. We're going to ship the non-LTS with Wayland like the community wants us to. And then when it doesn't work will fall back to X for the LTS. So nobody will be able to say that Canonical isn't pushing. Just think about this for a minute. This is so brilliant. No one can say that Canonical isn't pushing the envelope forward. But nobody on the other side can say that the LTS has lost any stability because they're using 1710 as a testing ground. And in the miracle event that millions upon millions upon millions of users that have never really experienced Wayland before shipping by default, if all of a sudden that just happens to work out with no serious problems, or maybe it does have serious problems, but they can be fixed easily enough by Canonical, then we have a stable desktop that ships with Wayland out of the box with a mere toolkit that has an API that developers can target. And so you have solved all of the all of the shortcomings of Wayland as Canonical sees them. You have not sacrificed any of the, well, at least the majority of the work that you've done on Mir because it's still relevant. And you have made, by incorporating Mir, you've made Wayland a better experience and you have seriously moved the Linux desktop forward. You guys nailed it. Nailed it. We got um we got a couple of minutes left if you guys have any, any other questions. Open phones this hour 855-450 Noah. That's 1-855-450-6624 or live at asknoahshow.com. Uh, headline, Puri.sm, Librem 5, a security and privacy-focused phone. The Librem 5, the phone that focuses on security by design and privacy protection by default, running the free Libre open source software and GNU plus Linux operating system designed to create an open development utopia. A fully standards-based freedom-oriented system based on Debian with many other upstream projects has never been done before, but we're the first to seriously attempt it. The Librem 5 phone will be the first ever IP-native mobile handset using end-to-end -end encryption and decentralized communication. Uh, this was a crowdfunding project that launched, and it has met its funding goal. So a funding goal of $1,500,000 uh, was asked, and they are up to, one as of the time of this podcast, uh, $1,515,824 with 14 days left, left to go. I think some of you guys know my history with, er, well, JB's history, rather, with Librem. Um, we were a little underwhelmed at first, but the longer these guys keep banging away at this stuff, the more I respect them. I legitimately thought the first time that I saw a Librem laptop in person that it was a very good concept, it was a very good design, and the idea of, the idea of taking super high quality products and putting Linux on them, I, I think is an underserved market. So in that respect, I think this is really cool. Um, and I was, I was watching the, uh, the video here and it looks like it, it, they, they actually show a couple different screenshots in like 26 seconds in the video. And we'll have a link to the show notes, but uh, 26 seconds in, uh, it looks like it's gnome actually running on this device. And I'll be the first person to throw my money down. If I could get a device that ran Linux natively and 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 cared about my privacy because the reality is I don't I, I use Android because I find it slightly less offensive than iOS but the reality is I don't trust either platform I don't like mobile platforms at all I don't think they're efficient to get work done I don't think you can trust Apple nor do I think you can trust Google I don't store anything important on it and if you think that iOS is more secure than uh, than Google it, it's not and there are plenty of, I mean, there's plenty of celebrities that would be happy to tell you on on how uh, you can get into an iCloud account. And not that that isn't largely due to bad security practices, but the reality is if you put something on your phone that's connected, if you put something on a device that is connected to the internet, the possibility exists that it's going to wind up in hands that you didn't want it to. 
And if you tell yourself otherwise, you're you're fooling yourself. So I, I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I didn't personally back the, the crowdfunding. I don't do crowdfunds anymore for um, technical products because I, I just don't think it's I just don't think I it's just not something I do. But uh, hey, guys, you should uh, follow us on Twitter if you're not at Ask Noah Show, Facebook.com slash Ask Noah Show. Uh, the Ask Noah Show continues next week, Monday at 6 p.m. Central. Make sure to check us out online, asknoahshow.com. Simon Quigley filling in for Sarah's call screener today. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Rakai, our video editor. Crosspoints coming up next for you on Logos Radio, KEQQ, 88.3 LPFM, Grand Forks. Grand Forks.